Chapter 27 of Life of Dorothea Lynde Dix by Francis Tiffany. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 27 Till the Outbreak of War. There remained now but little over a year before the outbreak of the great civil war, which was to put an end, in Miss Dix's case, to all especial asylum work, until the vaster question was settled in blood whether the American Union was to be rent in twain or re-established on the rock of universal liberty. Few knew the real spirit of the South so thoroughly as she. Few were so full of well-grounded apprehensions. But though her heart was painfully distressed with sad forebodings, the whole interval was filled with ceaseless activity. There are several letters of this especial year, 1860, which throw a clear, revealing light on the deepest-seated characteristic of the subject of this biography, namely the well-nigh awful intensity of will with which she closed in life-and-death grapple with every shape of wrong inflicted on the class of miserable beings to whose championship she believed herself called by the immediate voice of God. Spite of the wonderful results wrought through her campaign in Great Britain, and in the very press, moreover, of ceaseless work in America. Her mind is nonetheless found going back to the old country, still haunted with distressing memories of abuses there, piteously demanding redress. How inevitably, in reading the following letter to Mrs. Rathbone, does the outcry of a previously quoted letter from Toronto, Canada, recur to the mind. Quote, if I am cold, they are cold. If I am weary, they are distressed. If I am alone, they are abandoned. End quote. Inevitably, too, recur the characterizing words of Dr. Tuke, that terrible reformer but gentle lady. Quote, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, March 18, 1860. My dear friend, I wish much that I could see you again. This idea will not give way even when I see how much one can find to do, ever laboring with constant diligence. Should I recross the ocean, I should greatly desire to do something for the private houses, hospitals they cannot be called, for the hapless insane whose greatest calamity is in being cast within their imprisoning walls. This horror haunts me like an ill dream or a fearful remembrance of what it is actually a series of most dreadful facts. I cannot excuse or forgive the English commissioners of lunacy. They surely should know their duty if they do not. But their dull eyes and sluggish, far-separated visitations have revealed something of the dreary horrors of those heathen receptacles sustained by a Christian people. They are too indolent 
to exert the influence their official station gives to remedy, at least in a measure, what their criminal sufferance makes them participants in maintaining. If I could have authority, I would not let one circling moon pass her changes before I was again upon that field of toil, and neither time nor thought should be spared in the service. But I must turn from this subject, on which I never allow myself to think at all, if I can help it. A striking illustration of the range of outlook characteristic of mystics is furnished in the same year, 1860, in a letter from Wisconsin, while on the way to Minnesota. Since first she had begun her work of caring for the outcasts in the many states of the Union, how marvelous had been the unceasing creation out of previous wilderness of ever new states, each covering the area of what would constitute a kingdom in Europe. What a spectacle the American continent was thus presenting of a vast tidal wave of civilization steadily and irresistibly sweeping from the Atlantic to the far away Pacific. A Sioux Indian uprising, say in Minnesota, accompanied by widespread massacre of the scattered settlers, and then, in a seeming trice, a fresh unrolling of the momentarily baffled tide of immigration, which meant enormous new areas of cultivated land, thriving manufactories, compact cities, schools, colleges, and libraries. Yes, and it must mean equally institutions of mercy for the helpless and miserable, was Miss Dix's invincible resolve. The pioneer in charity must keep abreast with the pioneer of material civilization. To Mrs. William Rathbone, quote, Prairie Duchesne, Wisconsin, August 27, 1860. I am writing at a side table in a telegraph office, waiting for a boat to lacrosse after which I shall push up the Mississippi to St. Paul, Fort Snelling, and St. Anthony. I miss your letters so pleasant and refreshing, often cheering me by the way as I am seated in the cars passing from one place to another. I expect to be in the Northwest, in this wonderful country of vast prairies, wide, deep, ocean-reaching rivers, and lakes that deceive you into the idea that you are where the Atlantic rushes in upon the resisting shores of the eastern states. The country is packed with luckless foreigners. Well, the world at present is large enough for all. If all would do their part for the general good, how would the earth become as the garden of the Lord? The German and the Norwegian element is making a mark here, and their people in the main are industrious, saving, and orderly, except a remnant of the former, who are in life and character very coarse and brutal, and singularly addicted to wife tyranny, 
beating and often killing the poor drudges of the household. The insane of this class of Germans and of the south of Ireland people are rarely cured, and so they go to swell the amount of those who crowd the incurable wards of hospitals." End quote. With the coming of colder weather in the same year, 1860, the customary legislative activity was transferred farther south. With what cheering results may be gathered from the following extract from a letter to Mrs. Rathbone of date, Columbia, South Carolina, November 9th and December 19th, 1860, quote, I made a rapid journey hither by railroad from Jackson, Mississippi, traveling without stopping a half-hour three days and three nights, and arriving to find all hospital business not at a standstill merely, but looking very unpromising. I had no time to lose, and at once saw the Senate and House committees, reasoned, explained, persuaded, urged till I secured a unanimous report from these parties to their respective bodies in favor of an extension by new wings, etc., of the state hospital for the insane. Thus the work is fairly commenced. December 19th. My bill has passed both Senate and House by almost unanimous vote, and I go hence to attend to some hospital interests at Charleston, South Carolina. Footnote. Miss Dix's bill in South Carolina was for $60,000 for support of the asylum toward the foundation of which she had worked from 1852 to 1858. Five thousand dollars for repairs, ten thousand dollars for back debts, and $80,000 for new extension. This same winter, she had carried through a bill in Tennessee for an entirely new hospital in Knoxville, as well as raised a large appropriation for the old one she had founded in Nashville. These amounts, together with over $100,000 secured in Pennsylvania, represent a portion only of the work of the year. End footnote. Providence seems leading me on, and he, by whose mercy I am preserved, blesses all my labors for the afflicted. Whether we are permitted to meet again is doubtful. I do certainly indulge the hope. At present, I have much that must be undertaken here. End quote. It need, then, hardly be wondered at that the year 1860 closed on the part of Miss Dix with devout thanksgiving, and that with the opening of 1861 she should write to her friend Miss Heath in the following rejoicing strain, quote, Frankfort, Kentucky, March 1861. Dear Annie, all my bills have passed. The winter has been fully successful. I have had great cares, greater fatigues, many dangers, countless blessings unmeasured, preserving mercies, and am joined to all occasions for thanksgiving, 
well and still able to work very satisfactorily god spare our distressed country End quote. End of chapter 27